on your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the 19th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017, we catch up with GWS Giants footballer Jacinda Barclay, USAFL umpire Laurie Roop, Port Adelaide footballer Rebecca Wanganine, plus our State League rap with Alison Schiller, Matthew Cox, Lauren Hodgson and Aaron Russell. All of that coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the 19th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017, our third season on the air. And a quick reminder, you can listen to this podcast as a radio program Wednesday evenings, approximately quarter past six on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne or for elsewhere around the world. Just download the RSN app and click on Carnival. Our first guest this week is a true all-round sports star. She is a right-arm pitcher in the Australian National Women's Baseball League. She's a quarterback playing ladies' gridiron, winning championships with New South Wales here in Australia and last year with the Chicago Bliss in America. And during the 2017 AFLW season, she was a forward for the GWS Giants. Now she's helping lead a group of Australians on a tour of the US playing Aussie rules footy. The person I speak of is Jacinda Barclay, and it's great to have her on the line. Jacinda, thank you very much for joining us. Now, just a few months ago, you were playing footy in Greater Western Sydney, so I have to ask the question. We're speaking to you right now in WA. What are you doing in Perth? I know. Well, this is where actually I originated from, so I'm just down in my own town just to visit some family back here. Well, it's great to have you back home because when I say that, you've been all over the place, including the US. You've got this US footy tour coming up, but first of all, uh, you were more recently in the US as back as 2016 where you were a quarterback for the Chicago Bliss. Correct. Yeah, that's right. I was over there for about six months, so um, it was a great little adventure, that one. So before this footy tour, which will include obviously a lot of um, uh, coaching over there in America, how much did you get involved in the American system over there and uh, the elite training that comes with that? Yeah, quite a lot actually. I've been um, immersed in that kind of training and those facilities for a number of years now. Um, I'd say actually and since I was 14, um, I started travelling and touring um, with this particular company actually, um, Champions International. So since then, I've really grown and seen a lot of diversity over there and um, yeah, I, uh, I definitely applaud it. So Aussie Sparks, how did this uh, idea all come about? Aussie Sparks. So Aussie Sparks is actually uh, already touring. Um, they usually run baseball to- um, tours. So at this point now that we've just um, touched into so much AFL and development and so many girls interested, we thought that uh, the idea would be absolutely superb because um, there's just so much football, AFL football in uh, the States that has just been untouched really and so many willing girls um, to be involved. So we'd love to share our kind of travel and touring expertise and, um, yeah, invite other girls to come along. There's as much as 17 women's programs happening over in the U.S. at the moment with the U.S. AFL, and I believe you even did a training session or two with the Chicago Swans. I did, actually, yeah. So that's where I was based over there for six months. So um, I did my little due diligence and I looked it up, and what do you know, they had a Chicago Swans um, team there. So, yeah, they were very um, welcoming and inviting, and I went down and trained with them for, um, yeah, just under a month. So I met some um, really nice people and... They were all very willing to learn more about the game. So how did this idea and concept for an Australian footy tour of the US come about? Well, I just think it would be 
amazing to be able to actually um, give the experience to young travellers and um, those maybe pursuing an AFLW career, um, the, uh, you know, the opportunity to travel um, one, so and to develop and um, kind of immerse themselves in that kind of expertise that uh, USA, I believe, actually have. Plus, we're able to take over their our experiences and uh, enable USA AFL, um, you know, players to be able to learn us off us and be able to grow the game. Now, it's not just yourself going over and those obviously signing up to join. I'll, I'll mention a couple of members as part of your crew. First of all, you, as a coup, you've managed to get the Frio Dockers captain herself, Cara Donnellan. We have Cara. Cara's jumped on board, which we're really excited about. She's um, going to be a huge asset to the tour. And also as well, Nicole Graves, of course, the Level 3 AFL high-performance coach, been around in women's footy for goodness knows how long and was part, of course, on Australian tour to Ireland back in 2006. So she already knows all about this overseas footy trips. She does. She's going to be great. I think she's going to be able to offer um, a lot of insight into the structures and the skills and abilities and the craft um, that, that we require into this game. So we're really excited to have her on board and managing the tour as well. So this trip's running uh, over a couple of weeks. It's running from October 11 to 26. So what's involved? What cities are going? What's going to happen, essentially, for the whole 15 days? Yeah, so we'll be visiting LA, which is really exciting. We'll be there for a couple of days, and we'll jump over, and um, we'll be running some clinics in San Francisco, and we'll be actually involving ourselves in some exhibition games there with the San Francisco Kangaroos, I believe they are. And then we'll be jumping down. We'll be going to San Diego as well. So all in all, we'll be experiencing um, a lot of clinics, a lot of high-performance trainings, um, as well as these exhibition games. And um, possibly playing, well, we will be playing the um, USA All-Stars team at the actual tournament, at the competition. Um, so we're basically prepping and assisting and um, just helping develop basically our own skills as our team, as well as in turn, inviting and, and developing um, the USA girls as well. And, of course, those teams over in the US, uh, such as the Los Angeles Dragons, uh, over on the women's side in San Francisco, they're the Iron Maidens, current reigning champions, might I add, of, yes. of the US AFL. And, of course, you mentioned San Diego, and San Diego is not just any old stop. It is the big US AFL Nationals, where there's about 2,000 people that will be in attendance, either playing, uh, officiating or spectating. That's correct. It's going to be really exciting. They're already really excited to have us. And as well as part of your uh, tour, you've got some high-performance training with some top American NCAA schools. Uh, what's, what's all involved in this? Well, that's obviously that's going to be showcasing their diversity. So a bit of range in, in training structure, um, a bit of change in program. So it's really opening all the girls' eyes up to the possibilities of what kind of training schemes they can have. And they can take what they choose out of that and apply it to their own performance, really. And how excited are the Americans as well? As you said, you're coming over, you're hosting a few clinics. Uh, how, how excited were they when you reached out to them saying you want an Aussie side, including yourself, including Cara and whoever else signs up, to take on whoever they've got available at the Nationals? Yeah, well, they actually reached out to us, actually, or to Australia in general and clubs over Australia. Um, they were in search of you know, having a team come over and help and develop and um, involve themselves in this national. So we definitely took it up and um, they're more more than happy to have us and we're more than happy to um, be going down there to involve ourselves. Now, for the Aussie Sparks Tour, there is limited spots. So, so how many are you looking to take over to the US? There are, yeah. We're looking to take 30 girls. Um, so we've already put out our registration form and flyers. Um, so we have had 
quite a few people interested. Um, so, yeah, definitely we can get those registrations coming in and we will be locking those off um, by the end of the week. So by the end of the week, Friday, June 9th, if you want to head along, um, the cost uh, $4,999 uh, includes, I believe, airfares, hotel, ground transport, uh, many meals, uh, all your gear, high-performance training, playing fees, and I guess much, much more. Much, much more, that's right. So uh, that sounds like a terrific deal. Now, obviously, if anyone's interested or they want a little bit more information to take part in the tour running October 11 to 26, what can they do? Whether you can jump on our Facebook page. We've got the Aussie Sparks Women's Touring Group. Um, so just jump on there and all the information will be on there as well. And you can just email me directly. And um, if you have any inquiries, I can definitely get back to you. That email address, aussie.sparks.footy at gmail.com or you can go to the website, aussiesparks.net. Uh, just yourself personally, uh, Jacinda, you're counting down the days. You've only got, uh, what is it, four months to go until you're over there. I know, short, sharp. We're ready to go. We're really excited. Can't wait. Well, Jacinda, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy, and we wish you all the very best for the USA Australian Footy Tour in San Francisco, Los Angeles, and San Diego coming up in October. Beautiful. Thanks so much for having us. Since our focus at the moment is on the USA, let's stay there. Now, over many episodes, we've talked to the female footballers playing in the United States Australian Football League, but we haven't taken the opportunity yet to speak to any of the female umpires, and we're correcting that right now. We have got on the line a woman all the way from Minnesota in the United States, American-born Laurie Roop. Laurie, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. How are you? I'm great. Peter, how are you doing today? Not too bad at all. Great to have you on the line. But we do have to ask the question, as a born and bred American, how did you end up involved in Aussie rules? Well, I got involved through friends. I had made a couple of friends a few years ago. I actually ended up on vacation with them, and they were telling me about this fantastic sport that they played in Minnesota called Australian Rules Football. And I ended up going and checking it out with them and fell in love with the sport. And now I can't imagine my life without Aussie Rules football. Now, obviously, a lot of players that we've talked to that are based outside of Australia that find out about the game have naturally taken it up and played the game. But for yourself, you've gone down a different road and got into umpiring. How did that come about? So I started playing, so that was how I got into the sport, but then I tore my ACL in 2015, and so I I just had a feeling that my playing days were probably over at that point, but I really wanted to stay involved with the sport because I love it, I had made a lot of friends through it, it was um, just a great way for me to stay active, and so that's how I ended up looking into umpiring, and I don't think I would have necessarily looked at it uh, had I not been injured. So it's kind of funny how things happen in life sometimes, but that's how I got into umpiring. I guess for us Australians, um, umpiring might come to us a little bit easier because we're, we're born with the gang. We've grown up. We've learned all the rules, even though, to be honest, the AFL did change the rules a lot. And sometimes we still struggle to know all the rules. <laughs> but for yourself, how was it trying to sit down and after you've only been involved in the game, only just a handful of years, to be able to know all the intricacies, all the, all the little rules? Because I think there's something like 34 rules in the rule book, if I'm correct. Yes. I mean, I'll be honest. It's I still learn stuff every time I go out and umpire. So it's it's a never ending learning process for sure. But basically, I just jumped in. Right. I I didn't know any better. I just jumped in and I figured that I was going to make mistakes, but I was going to learn along the way. And each game I would get a little bit better. And that is exactly what's happened. 
And I've also spent a lot of time reading the rules book, which I'm sure to some people just sounds agonizing, but I figured that's what I needed to do to become a good umpire. Now, of course, over there, you do have the official USAFL Umpires Association. So how many in that group at the moment? And how many would you also guess uh, an approximate percentage of women? Um, Let's see. So for women... I think there's about six umpires uh, across the country, and that's across a couple of different disciplines. We've got a few goal umpires and then field umpires. I think I'm one of two who umpire full-time. Actually, sorry, I'm one of three who umpire full-time. And, oh gosh, of course you're going to ask me how many total people are in the USAFL. I think we've got between 50 and 60 umpires and the USAFL Umpires Association is probably going to shoot me if I don't get that number right. So, <laughs> Well, close enough is good enough, but I also believe that you almost do like a crash course for umpires, don't you, when the Nationals come around? Because that's a big tournament to try and officiate. You essentially got five games going on at once. And if I'm correct, there's something like 60, 70 games over the weekend at least. Yeah, for sure. And so usually every Friday before that tournament's is we have an afternoon umpires camp. So that way, either people that are brand new to umpiring or people that have been umpiring for a while, they can come and it's an afternoon-long clinic and we cover everything. We cover goal umpiring, we cover field umpiring, and, and it's everything under that, right? It's about the decision-making, your positioning, um, you know, talking through the decision-making process. And so it's it's definitely a crash course in how to become an umpire that day before national starts. Now, just a couple of months ago, you ended up in Europe at the AFL uh, European Champions League, which was a big weekend out there in uh, Amsterdam. So the question asks, how does an American who just learned Australian football end up in Europe officiating football over there? Oh, I know. This is a great story. So so the USAFL, Umpires Association, we are actually actively starting an exchange with AFL Europe and their Umpires Association. We feel like there are a lot of things that both leagues can learn from each other, and we think that there's a lot of benefit for us exchanging umpires between the two leagues because – you know, there's there's a lot of expat Australians in both of our countries or in both of our regions. There's a lot of, you know, people that grow, grew up in Europe or grew up in the U.S. that have now gotten involved in the sport. So we just feel like there was a ton of opportunity for us to learn from each other. And so that was the whole point of me going over to Amsterdam to umpire over there was to see how they do it in Europe. How does AFL Europe work? How do the teams play? What's the level of play? And that is how I ended up in Europe, in Amsterdam, for that one-day tournament. And I think there's a photo of you online showing a big grin that you've been paid, the big 70 bucks euro. Yes. That was that was amazing. I had completely forgotten that I was getting any money to umpire that day. I obviously was not there for the the money. I was there to learn from from AFL Europe. And so when they handed me that envelope with my pay at the end of the day, I just had to take a photo because I was just so excited to have gotten a little bit of money for my effort that day. And for you as an umpire that you've seen now, American football and European Australian football, how do you compare the standards? I actually think they're very similar because whether you're talking about an AFL Europe team or whether you're talking about a USAFL team, uh, you know, both of those teams have very similar makeups. You've got expat Australians that are on those teams 
And then you've got people that grew up in that country that have maybe studied abroad in Australia or have spent time traveling through Australia or just found the sport through other friends. And so I feel like the skill levels are very similar because of the makeup of the teams, which once again, that's why we're trying to do this exchange with AFL Europe, because I think we have a ton that we can learn from each other. And we also learned a few weeks ago that you'll be coming down to Melbourne for the AFL International Cup in August. How did that opportunity present itself? Yes, so every three you know, the USAFL Umpires Association, they solicit applicants for going down there. And so I had to put my name in the hat because I've never been to Australia before and with all that I've been doing for umpiring and just how much I'm enjoying it, there is no better place for me to go and and learn more and see the sport in person than going to Melbourne. So I put my name in the hat as one of the umpires to be considered for the for getting selected to go down there, and I got it. I, I was selected. I'm going to be uh, essentially the female representative of the USAFL Umpires Association down there, so I'm very excited for the opportunity. Absolutely fantastic for you, and we look forward to you coming down here in literally just two months' time. The, the clock is already ticking. Uh, between uh, now and then, what does your schedule look like uh, when it comes to umpiring in the U.S.? Yes, so every Monday night, uh, we've got women's games that happen here in the Twin Cities. So actually, when I get off the call with you, I'll be getting ready to head out to umpire tonight. And then every Saturday, we've got men's games that uh, happen in the Twin Cities as well. So those are my Monday and Saturdays. And then we actually, uh, later this month, we have a couple of different regional teams that are coming to visit Minnesota. So the Chicago Swans and the Des Moines Roosters are coming to visit on consecutive weekends. And so I'll be able to get some competitive games under my belt as well before coming down for the IC in Melbourne. And... Other than that, just lots of running, lots of weightlifting, and just making sure I'm in tip-top shape for the trip. And I guess afterwards, uh, then preparing for two months later, possibly to come down to San Diego for the next USAFL Nationals. Yes, definitely. I will be there. And when I had mentioned earlier this exchange that we're starting with AFL Europe, they're actually going to be sending over three umpires to help us at our nationals this year. So I feel like our exchange is already off to a great start with them coming to San Diego to help us out. Absolutely fantastic to hear. Well, Laurie, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy, and we look forward to uh, catching up with you in August when you come down to Melbourne for the AFL International Cup. And until then, good umpiring. Sounds fantastic. I can't wait to meet you. Joining us on the line now to talk about the Adelaide Footy League Women's Competition Division 1, I've got from the Two Crows podcast, Alison Schiller. Alison, how are you? I am absolutely fantastic there, Peter. How are you going? Not too bad at all. It's time to talk about women's footy in SA. Round two's just been passed. But first of all, on the weekend, I believe you caught up with a special guest. Yes, indeed I did. Down at the Port Adelaide Magpies, um, I've uh, caught up with a full forward. My name is Rebecca Wangenin. And here's that interview of Rebecca now. I'm down at the Modbury Sports and Community Club where it's the Battle of the Birds. Modbury are taking on Port Adelaide Magpies. We've got both teams coming off a loss last weekend and both of them are searching for their first win of the season. But today I'm really lucky enough to be with Rebecca Wanganine who plays for the Port Adelaide Magpies. How are you going? I'm going good, thanks. That's good. So, um, Beck, how long have you been playing the game for? 
I've been playing, this is my third season now. Mm -hmm. And and you always played with Port Adelaide? No, I started with Ingle Farm. Excellent. And so, just so people get to know a little bit about you, what first of all, what position do you play? I play full forward. Full forward, so you like kicking a few sausage rolls? Yeah, wouldn't mind. <laughs> wouldn't mind? Yeah. That's a good day. Um, hopefully a few tonight. Yeah, hopefully. So I've got Beck pre-game, so I'll try and let her go and warm up, because trust me, she'll need it tonight. It's absolutely freezing outside. And for people that don't know you, how would you describe yourself as a footballer? Hard at it? Yeah, hard at it. Um, like to put pressure on it as much as I can. Mm -hmm. um, kick some goals? Yeah, obviously kick some <laughs> goals as that's my job as a full forward. Yep, always. And you do you enjoy that part of your job? Yeah, yeah. I like to um kick a, kick some goals so um so you can win it for the team. Yeah, or help the midfield, you know, reward the midfielders when nice. they kick me the ball. Oh, that's very team-oriented, Beck. I really like that one. Your team will like that too, by the way. Um, who's your favourite female footballer? Um, I would say Brianna Davey from Carlton. She's a good player, isn't she? What do you like about Brianna? Um, she goes, gets in there, hard out it, just great skills. She has. So you, you want to add some of her skills to, to your game? Um, yeah, wouldn't mind. Yeah, wouldn't mind some of that. Um, now, what part of your game would you like to improve? Um, I'd like to improve um, my um, tackling, mm -hmm. just the chase downs, full, full forward and full foot playing in the forward lines. You want to keep the football in your 50. Yep, and, and keep the pressure on. Keep the pressure on so you can get a quick turnover and a quick goal. Excellent, if you could. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Now, um, who, who's the funniest person in your team? Um, probably say Hayley Charity. Hayley Charity. And then who thinks they're the funniest? But they may actually not be the funniest. You can burn someone here, it's okay. <laughs> oh, you're being very nice, Beck. Oh, I don't know, it's pretty hard. <laughs> well, you get a couple, I can't name them, but... Oh, okay, is that just for your own person? Yeah. In case it's a midfielder and they got to kick you the ball? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine, we understand that. Um, what's your favourite song at the moment that you can't get enough of? Um, I like The One by Justin Bieber. Nice. Your favourite TV show? Say Home and Away. Home and, that's always a popular choice. Um, your favourite letter of the alphabet? R. Because oh. my start of my name. Oh, good. She was quick with that one. Favourite pizza topping? Barbecue chicken. Excellent. And what do you have a song? If there was a song that was played that would describe you, what song would that be? Say Eye of the Tiger. Oh, nice choice. So, Beck, what do you think you have to do to get over Modbury tonight? Um, first of all, we need to start. Start good because last week we didn't have a great start. So if we can get a great start, mm -hmm. get the energy up, mm -hmm. and apply pressure, mm -hmm. I think that will go a long way for us to getting a win. Yes, that's very good. And any players that you have to keep an eye on from the opposition? Um, probably say Chloe Shear. Yeah, Shear. Yeah, I've heard a little bit about Chloe. <laughs> She'd be one of them. Yep, definitely. Yeah. I don't know the others. And just, but keep the pressure on them yep. and create turnovers and yep. get the job done, yep. as they would say. You think that'll keep make Emma happy, yep. your coach? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so thank you very much for your time um, tonight, Rebecca. So, and just in passing, I have, have had people ask, your last name's Wankanine. So, are you related to said one Gavin Wankanine? Yeah, he's my older brother. He's your older brother. Yeah. So you taught him everything he knows? 
Yeah, I'll take the credit. Yeah. <laughs> well, he needed someone for practice of no doubt, even if you were very, very small and we used as a point post, it's fine. So you can take credit for that. Yep. Excellent. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Rebecca Wanganeen. Rebecca Wanganeen there talking with Alison Schiller. Time to have a look at what happened in round two. You were at that game between Port Adelaide and Modbury and it turned out to be a close one. It did. Um, down at the Modbury Sports and Community Centre down there, under lights on Saturday night. And what I thought was actually going to turn into a bit of a whitewash Port Adelaide's way ended up being a much tighter contest. Um, just one thing to note there before I go into the game is Modbury have actually, through the help of their local council members, got some new women's change rooms and umpire facilities, uh, which is certainly, with the weather that it was going on down there, was appreciated by Modbury visiting teams and umpires alike. Now, the brass monkeys were out in force, the temperatures hovered around 9 balmy degrees, with the gentle fog rolling in as the night progressed. So, for the first quarter, Port Adelaide, unfortunately, went quite as clean in front of goal. They kicked 1-4, uh, with keeping Modbury to a solitary goal. Mind you, I'm very pleased to say that Port Adelaide's first goal came from one said Rebecca Wanganee. And um, unfortunately, she the mark went through the hands, but she quickly bent down, butted up, and was able to snap it on her left foot, which was absolutely wonderful. So very happy. Congratulations on that. Beck and she ended up with two for the night. Now, I've actually also got to see young Chloe Shear uh, in action, and trust me, she was everywhere. So she was dominating the midfield in the first quarter and was really threatening with her penetrating kick. Port Adelaide thought better of that, and they put a player by Brooke Chaplin on her, and she managed to keep her pretty quiet in the second, but the Modbury coach was having none of that. So he popped Chloe up forward, where she nearly single-handedly won the game for them, for the Modbury Hawks kicking three goals. Port Adelaide challenging that again, put a young player by the name of Ash Gould uh, in the fourth quarter, and she did a pretty good job to call her influence, and that ain't um, Ash mentioned in the best as well. Port Adelaide captain Kat Reynolds was absolutely everywhere and led from the front. And I'll be honest, she really displayed her leadership skills in the final quarter to get the Magpies over the line, 38 to 33, so under a kick in that. Uh, Renee Richardson, best on ground for the Port Adelaide. Chloe Shear, best on ground for Modbury. Uh, now, Chloe Shear, her poise and balance, and as I mentioned, her penetrating kick was something to see, and you're just waiting for her to absolutely tear a game apart. Downside for Port Adelaide, uh, Beck McMahon unfortunately hurt her shoulder and that's actually being assessed by the medicos as we speak. So the goals, Modbury, uh, Chloe with three, Isabella Wilson and Briley Cook with one each, Port Adelaide, Rebecca Wanganee in two, and Cindy Leach to Rice, Daniel and Guild. Chloe, she just keeps her name mentioning on in the best for Modbury. Nicole Tucker, and there's a player there by the name of Carissa Stirl. And I really liked her game and her endeavour. It was one I paid attention to as well. And then Rachel Wells and Jess Meacham, which I'm pretty sure are names that I mentioned last week. Uh, Port Adelaide, Renee Richardson, Kat Reynolds, Brooklyn Chaplin and Ash Gould, the two players that got the job on sheer, got themselves in the best with that result. And Beck Wells rounded up there as well. So Modbury, unfortunately, is still searching for their first W. Port Adelaide, maybe has now got one on the board. Uh, and just to note, there were no ASLW players playing on the night. 5-8-38, Port Adelaide defeating Modbury 5-3-33. Then it was Sunday football at Aldi Arena and West Adelaide, a big win over Salisbury. 
Yeah, this one actually took me a little bit by surprise, I'll admit, Peter. I thought we were in for a much closer contest going by the results of the previous week with Westies up against Morphys and Salisbury against Port Adelaide. So it started off as a very even contest in the first quarter with only a point separating the two. So unfortunately, though, for Salisbury, there was a seven-goal seven three to nothing second quarter. And then, unfortunately, Salisbury also continued to be blitzed for the rest of the game, only managing a solitary goal after that first uh, quarter score. So the, the goal kickers for Salisbury, Paige Allen, Ashley Jade Woodland and Shane Miller with one each. And while there may have been a famine for the Pies, it was a feast for the Wolves with seven different goal kickers, Chelsea Bedell kicking six, Jamie Cade with four, and a pair each for Kate Hilton and Maddie Newman. With fingers there to Taylor Gordon, Emma Faint, and Megan Rich. So the best players there for Westies, Shannon Solly, Jamie Cobb, Ellison Evans, Chelsea Bedell, and AFLW with player Talia Redan. But for Salisbury, Candice Pride got herself up in there, Jamie Lee Sonneman, Ashley Jade Woodland, Nicole Baker, and Nicole Mark. So both teams are now sitting a win apiece with only percentages separating them. Then what was a big win for the Westies? The score, 17-8, 110 to 3-3-21. The Bloods winning that one. And then the shock uh, of the round. We asked the question last week about Adelaide stumping of Modbury. Was it just how bad Modbury were? No, it seemed that Modbury are okay. It's just seemed that Adelaide Uni are sensational. They crushed Morfordville Park. Oh, it's this, I brought this up last week, game of the round, I said. All these words I was floating around with, this will be the match around this week, well... For Adelaide Uni, it was second very same as the first. They absolutely pulverised the poor old Morphy Roos. And the Morphy Roos even welcomed back Noffy, Van Hagen and Devo from the AFLW. Now, it might have been a sunny day down at Kellett Reserve, but it was anything it's done, anything but sunny for the Morphy Roos. Now, um, currently I'm not sure if you're aware, they're without a permanent uh, coach. So they're actually rotating coach duties and Lexi Edwards was handed the reins for the day. I'm not sure what influence that may be having on the players to try and get some continuity in there. But watching this game firsthand, Adelaide Uni played at a class above, absolutely dominating from the get-go, kicking six zip in the uh, first quarter. And they moved the ball cleanly, quickly from the centre. And with ex-Adelaide Thunderbird, Jane Fitzgerald and Buck, feeding it out to their spouse in Courtney Gunn who is otherwise known as the magician. And then she gets it onto the outside mid of the little ninja, as they call her, Sophie Lee, or as I like to call her, Jet Lee, who she is an absolute jet to watch. And the question is, how do you shut down a magician and a ninja, Peter? Well, the answer on Sunday was no one. It was an eye-catching performance, uh, which I'm sure just to let you know, didn't go unnoticed by one Beck Goddard, who was lurking around, trying to be a little bit incognito in the shadows there, down at Kellett Reserve. So, also tonight there, that she had two AFLW players playing for Adelaide Uni, being Unsung Crow star Justine Mills and Anne Hatchard. Now, trust me, they were fantastic, and they both appear to have taken their game to the next level. And what I think, honestly, is a master stroke of coaching by Chrissy Steen. She's actually popped Hatchy up forward, where she showed a beautiful clean pair of hands and was rewarded for all her hard work with four goals, which was only outdone by the brilliant Stacey Richardson who kicked five in a, in a wonderful display. 
Now, Justine Mills was in the midfield and she was trying to rotate up forward. Um, apparently, she was pretty keen. Justine's pretty keen to do a tally of two goals. And that's a career tally, by the way, Peter. Um, but even she managed to slot one by the end of the day, much to her and her team's delight. Also highly influential is Ebony O'Day, who had the longest and the highest number I've ever seen on the back of the Bambi. And she wore 314, which I still need to investigate what that is about. Um, unfortunately, though, for Adelaide Uni, the highly talented Tate Mackerel came in late to a contest and went over the top of a player and has sadly broken her collarbone, and she requires plates and screws. And the uh, the Blacks, as Adelaide Uni are known, will actually have four key out in their next game. So it'll actually be a good test just to see if that changes any dynamics of the competition. For the Wurries, though, Sammy Allen battled hard all day, as did the Cannon, Whiteley, Charlotte and Charlotte Bohr. Nossie kicked the goal with a celebration to match, and she took out one of her own players in her jumping, um, trying to motivate her team match in what turned out to be a very tough gig an unexpected day, I believe, for the Morphy Roos. And I think Adelaide Uni, as you alluded to before, are sending a ripple and a shiver through the competition. And if I might add, Peter, is it okay if I just mentioned that two of the players that I spoke of there, Courtney Gum and Sophie Lee, is it okay if I give you a bit of a background on those two? Go right into it. Yep. So Courtney Gum's a mid-side mid. Um, last year, she averaged 25 disposals and won the SANFLW Best and Fairest. And the runner-up to her, no surprise to anyone else, is an outside midfielder by the name of Sophie Lee. Sophie Lee was also best in ground in the SANFL uh, grand final. I'm thinking of calling them 12 because they're always one and two. Whenever they go, even the best on the day, Sophie Lee was first and Courtney Gunn was second. Courtney uh, was also the first female player to win the Howard Trophy in New South Wales, which is the highest play award that you can receive. So I'm thinking those two might get a little bit of attention. There's another player there by the name of Ruth Wallace who's one to keep your eye up for up forward kicking goals. So Adelaide are a very, very well-drilled side, creating running space for their precision. And I must admit, as you can probably tell, I was extremely impressed with their ball movement and their skills. Final scores in that game, 16-4-100 Adelaide Uni defeating Morphville Park 2-3-15. We head into the bye for the uh, Queen's birthday long weekend, so an ideal opportunity to take a look at the ladder after round two. Yeah, so the ladder, no surprise, Adelaide Uni on top, and then a winner piece each to Westies, Port Adelaide, Salisbury and the Morphy Roos with only percentage separating them, with the Modbury Hawks at the bottom searching for their first win. Well, that's our look at the Adelaide Footy Women's League for this week. Alison Schiller, thank you very much for joining us. We look forward to catching up with you next week for a preview of Round 3. Thank you very much. So that was SA Footy. Let's do our State League wrap of going right around the country. Uh, no women's footy last week in Perth in the WAWFL uh, due to the long weekend there. But we have got footy coming up this week and it's round nine. All games on Sunday at 12pm at Altone Park. East Perth hosts the Thunderbirds. The remaining games at 2pm at East Fremantle over the Sharks host Swan Districts. At Grenville Reserve, the Coastal Titans host South Fremantle. And at HBF Arena West Perth host Claremont. The latter's looking like this at the moment after eight rounds. The Coastal Titans and Swan Districts, first and second respectively, six wins and one loss each. In third on five and two is Claremont, sitting in fourth of the Thunderbirds on four 
and three ahead on percentage from East Fremantle. West Perth is one win behind them with three wins, four losses for the season and sixth spot. Then follows South Fremantle, Perth Angels and East Perth uh, yet to register a win. Heading across to Tasmania where they had round five. Clarence had the bye and on the Sunday the Tigers 1-2-8 were defeated by the Bernie Dockers 4-9-33 while Launceston 6-2-38 defeated Glenorchy in a close one 4-11-35. The latter after five rounds in the Tasmanian State League women's competition. Three teams jammed on three wins and one loss. That's Clarence, Launceston and Glenorchy with only percentage separating them. Uh, sitting on one win in fourth is the Bernie Dockers and the Tigers yet to have a win sitting on the bottom of the table in fifth position. Time now to have a look at what's happening in Queensland. I've got on the line to talk about the Bond University QWAFL, our Queensland footy guru, Aaron Russell. Aaron, how are you? Thank you, Peter. Good to have you on the line. Indeed. Let's talk round nine of the QWAFL. Uh, just the two games that were played on the weekend. Uh, first of all, uh, Kulangata, as expected, uh, getting the points over Zilmir. Yeah, that's right. Just the two games, Peter, and um, unfortunately neither uh, neither was a close one in the end. But um, kudos to Zilman. They got some score on the ball, which is something they've been struggling to do um, for so far throughout this year. But uh, but Cooley obviously walking away clear winners uh, in, in that game, Peter. 11-16-82 to one one seven in that game. Um, Marucci Door five three thirty three put up a good fight, but Yoronga South Brisbane getting the chocolates eighteen ten one hundred and eighteen. Yeah, so look, obviously you're on the too good in the end. Um, they were trying a few things and um, uh, rested Sabrina. Frederick Troll didn't play uh, in that game. Um, but uh, but yeah, the likes of, of Pace, Virgo played up forward and a bit of a different role for them. Kick five, Ransfield kick five again. Um, Emma Asherman, who's, who's uh, as tough as they come, Peter, she could even be one to... To, uh, to watch out for. I reckon she's been, been playing some really good games for, for Yoronga South Brisbane. Um, so she, she could be one to watch. And talk about players to watch. There is, of course, no QWAFL this weekend for the Queen's Birthday weekend, but there is a, a couple of representative matches being played on Friday night and Sunday, if I'm correct, between the under-23s of Queensland and WA. That's right. So... Uh, yeah, we, we're going to see the uh, under-23 squads of, of both those states. Uh, yeah, clash clash heads uh, on the weekend. It'll give us a really good look at at sort of the next, not just the next crop um, coming through, but the, I guess those girls that are sort of going to make up um, the numbers uh, for Lions and uh, and Trio respectively. So, you know, re- realistically, we're, we're talking about the, the spots that are now been freed up on those lists. Um, from delisted players, um, I really think that, uh, that this under twenty three crop that's going to give us a look at, at potentially who's going to fill those spots. It could be some of the girls that did get delisted, but um, I think you'll see a few uh, new names uh, pop up on the radar for both of those AFL squads. And I don't know as much as WA, but I know Queensland has opted to um, just play those girls between the ages of eighteen and, and uh, twenty three. They're not playing the, the seventeen. Uh, 18 year old um, that just had the recent carnival. They're, they're looking at that sort of um, early 20, 20 bracket where they're really picking from. So yeah, we could see some some names that a lot of people aren't used to. Um, and yeah, that, that, it's going to give us a look at those girls that are going to 
really be pushing for spots on that Lions list and uh, and Trio, respectively. And it'd be interesting to see the depth as well. Of course, um, uh, as a couple of months from now, the AFL Commission will be making their decision on expansion for 2019. And uh, that we know that uh, Gold Coast and West Coast are among those sides that are uh, at the moment uh, putting their hand up uh, as uh, interested parties to uh, join the expanded competition. Yeah, exactly. So we'll, we'll show the depth. Um, you know, obviously, we're missing a lot of the experienced players. We're missing a lot of the really young youth. But it really gives us a look at that middle crop. Um, and these girls, they've still got, you know, 10 years, up to 10 years of footy left ahead of them. Um, it's under 23 squad. So, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of the girls that are now starting to come into their prime. Um, I, I know the Queensland squad's made up of a lot of girls who realistically haven't really played any more than a season or two. Um, so they've got a lot of scope for improvements still left in them. A lot of athletes in this bunch, a lot of cross-coders as well. Uh, but yet it'll really give us a, a good look at, uh, at the depth here in Queensland uh, and also WA. Well, Aaron, thanks very much for joining us and we look forward to catching up with you next week when we get back to previewing QWAFL football. No worries. Thanks again for having me, Peter. Time now to have a look at the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division, and I've got on the line Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all, as much as the winter weather starts to bite now. Let's have a look at what happened in the previous round, round eight of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. And first of all, the Stingrays, big win over the Newtown Breakaways. Yeah, look, the Stingrays had a... uh a massive win over the breakaways, uh, winning by 145 points. So the final score was 159 to 14. So um, it had to be one of the, the bigger wins in uh, in the AFL Sydney Women's Comp within the last couple of years. Um, so Stingrays kicks 25 goals and nine points, and it just shows you that they're so accurate in front of goal all day. Uh, they had many multiple goal kickers. Beeson kicked six, whilst uh, Corkiono Kick four, Curry three, Collier three, and Smith two. Uh, Schroeder and Fountain kicked a goal each for the breakaways. But the breakaways are never really in the match, as you can see from the score. Uh, the Stingrays kicked seven goals in each of the first two quarters, only managing two goals in the third, but finished up strongly with a nine-goal final term. So a dominant performance um, from the get-go there. In the closest game of the round, it was the Giants getting the chocolates over MacUni. Yeah, look, when we had a chat about this game last week, I think we both thought it would be a fairly close game, and it was. I mean, look, a four-point margin in the end, uh, 32 to 28. Uh, and I think it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely a much closer contest than the first game we just looked at there. And the Giants ended the Warriors' winning streak. Um, and each change of quarter, there was never more than a goal in it. So it just goes to show you that for the whole game, it was a really uh, close encounter. At three-quarter time, the Warriors held a one-point lead, but inaccurate kicking uh, cost them dearly. They kicked three behind to the Giants, one goal, two, uh, and as we saw before, ended up losing by four points. And the Warriors kicked three ten for the game, so had they been uh, able to convert their chances better, they, they may have um, come away with a close win themselves. Uh, Tompkins was named best on ground for the Giants, and Lugia uh, was best on ground for the Warriors. The Sydney Uni Bombers uh, got it done over the Southern Power. Yeah, look, another um, big win there and a mismatched scoreline for this round. The Sydney Uni Bombers won 122 to Southern Power 9. Uh, and the Bombers continued Power's losing streak with a massive win um, at home on Saturday. 
Stack and Rudolph were strong up forward for the Bombers, kicking five and three apiece. Uh, Ali Brush was best on ground for the Bombers, and Erin Clout kicked Power's only goal for the day. Uh, and the Bombers remain undefeated and on top of the ladder as we go into the Queen's birthday break. And the Shamrocks, five goals winners over the Western Wolves. Yeah, so the Shamrocks had a really good win there. Uh, they played a great game on the weekend to get their uh, second win of the season. Uh, the Wolves led nine points until quarter time, but failed to score in the second quarter, and the Shamrocks kicked a couple of goals in that second quarter and took a 10-point lead into the second half. Uh, they then kicked two goals in each of the third and fourth quarters to finish off strongly with a 30-point win there. So going into the break, uh, they'd be on a bit of a high there and really looking forward to... Um, Building on their their uh, couple of wins and finishing off the season strong there, Peter. Well, we're about to head into the buy round for the Queen's birthday long weekend. Everyone having the weekend off, so I guess it's the ideal opportunity to have a look at the ladder situation and see where everyone is uh, settled at the moment. Yeah, so I mean, look, we've been speaking for the last couple of weeks, or <laughs> really the whole season, about um, the dominance of. Uh, Sydney Uni and UNSW. Um, as we mentioned before, Sydney Uni remain undefeated. Um, said have, have had a really great start to the season. As have the UNSW Stingrays. Um, they've had a fantastic start to the season, uh, only losing the one game, which was by less than a goal against um, the Sydney Uni Bombers. And both of those teams have a uh, fantastic percentage. I mean, Sydney Uni are on top, undefeated on 548. And the Stingrays in second place, I mean, you can see their scoring power. Their percentage is, it's over 1,100. So that's, um, I mean, that's almost unheard of, Peter. You've got Mac Uni uh, Warriors sitting in third place on five wins, three losses. Uh, Auburn Penrith Giants just behind them on four wins, three losses. Uh, Southern Power in fifth, so um, out of the finals race at the moment on a, a 14 final system on three and five. You have the UTS Shamrocks on two and five, uh, Newtown Breakaways on one and seven, and in eighth and final place, the Western Wolves one on seven. Um, so still a few teams in the race for the finals uh, in, in the second half of the season. Um, uh, you know, it looks clear that uh, Sydney Uni and UNSW finish one and two. Um, you know, look, if, if UNSW can beat the Bombers next time they play them, they'll um, they'll jump to first. And unless there's sort of some surprise wins there against those two sides, I think you can lock them in for one and two. Um, I think three, four, and five, and even potentially sixth place, there could be a bit of um, bit of change. Um, I think the Warriors are, are likely to make the top four. And I think it's more likely that that fourth spot um, will be up for grabs between, you know, Auburn, Penrith team, uh, Southern Power, and even potentially the Shamrocks if they can uh, steal a few more games and um, have a strong second half. So, it's, uh, yeah, shaping up to be a good finish uh, to the season, Peter. Well, Lauren, thanks for joining us here on Girls Play Footy, and we look forward to catching up with you next week for a preview of Round 9 of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Can't wait for it, Peter. Time now to look at the UNSW Canberra Women's League. Round eight was played over the weekend. And on the Friday night, the Gungarland Jets, 11-12-78, swept aside Ainsley, 1-1-7. On the Saturday, the ADFA Rams, three behinds, went down to Malongolo Juggernauts, 15-9-109. Riverina Lions, 21-11-137, swept away the Kudamundra Blues, one behind. In the close one, the Balkana Magpies, 10-4-64, went down to Eastlake D. Demons 
Queens, 10 8 68. Tugranong, 9 4 58, defeated the ANU Griffins, 2 3 15. Quimbian Tigers having the bye. So after eight rounds there of the Canberra Women's League, the ladder looks like this sitting on top of the table. The Quimbian Tigers and the Eastlake Demons, uh, one win behind them, the Gangalan Jets. Sitting in fourth, the Tugranong Hawks, uh, just ahead of the Belconnen Magpies and Ainsley Tricolors. And then the Malongolo Juggernauts, ANU Griffins, Riverine Alliance, ADFA Rams, and bottom of the table are the Kutamundra Blues. Time now to have a look at the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. And joining us on the line, one of our callers through RSN Carnival, it's Matthew Cox. Coxie, thanks very much for joining us. The game that everyone was focusing on for round four was played on Sunday morning at Bill Laurie Oval in Northcote. The Darabin Falcons and the St Kilda Sharks, so much riding on the line early in the season for both of these teams. And it was pretty tight early on. In fact, I think it was tight at 15 all at some stage during the second quarter. But then the hammer went down from the Falcons and they inserted their authority. Yeah, uh, goalless first term from both sides. It's the second time this year that's happened for um, Darabin, happening in round one when they played the Muggers. But, uh, yeah, it was all, all close. Well, really close throughout the game, really. No no side looking on the scoreboard. Took it by the scruff of the neck. Um, for, for the Sharks, a little bit disappointed that they probably didn't get over the line. We know, and we've been talking about how Darabin haven't been at full strength, mind you. Flicking through the uh, the list, it looks like they had um, their most senior players, well, most of their senior players back in that lineup on the weekend. Your likes of Vessio, Brennan, Hickey, Paxman, just to name a few in there. Dalpos, another one. Um, Daisy Pierce, obviously the the biggest name there, still still missing at the moment for the Falcons. But it looks like they they had their their strongest side yet in for uh, the weekend and the same for the Sharks. Good indication where the Sharks are in the scheme of things. Um, probably just a, a step behind maybe the, the Muggers, um, probably on equal footing as, as the Devils. But um, for Darabin, you'd expected them to do a little more convincingly considering those names in the lineup, And uh, unfortunately, they didn't do it. What's the interesting thing out of this result? 5-3-33, the Falcons to the Sharks, 3-7-25. Equal number of scoring shots. Sharks also had some opportunities late in the final quarter, but just uh, were just either too far out or just weren't straight enough. Um, they just didn't have the finishing polish. We've got two things to remember. One, Taylor Harris and her intent to play for the Sharks in the latter part of the season. Now, if she can fit under that points cap and she comes in, all of a sudden her playing out of the goal square straightens things up. The other equation is unlikely that she will play during the season because she's trying to get over the injury. But if out of nowhere Mo Hope decides to come back, if you could imagine if somehow they had Mo Hope and Taylor Harris both on the same side, you'd have to say, hang on a second, hang on. The Sharks are the wild card here that could upset the whole apple cart. And that's really the missing piece of the puzzle for them at the moment, isn't it? Their midfield group is, is solid and their, their defensive structure go, or goes okay um, up against some of the, the powerhouse forwards of the competition. So that area is settled um, and they're getting stronger week by week. But it is the forward line that's a bit hit and miss. I think when we broadcast the game from the Peanut Farm Reserve a couple of weeks ago, we made the comment that they just look a little dysfunctional going inside 50. And I look at the, the goal kickers list from the weekend again and 
and Jazz Garner was, uh, again, the only multiple goal kicker with two, Benici with the other one, um, which is a concern for, uh, for me looking at the Sharks' side because they're putting a lot of pressure and responsibility on Garner, which I think she's living up to the expectation, but that just means that she's now copping the, the number one defender uh, rather than being able to play that more free style of game that we became loose, used to last year where she was pushing up the ground. Really that, that centrepiece across half forward that provided the link-up for the Sharks going inside attacking 50. And you're right, if, if Harris and Mo Hope do come back into that side, um, or do come into the side later in the year, they are a very dangerous-looking forward line. Box Hill and Cranbourne, we got to see in course part of our RSN Carnival match of the day. Uh, Box Hill 3-5-23 going down to Cranbourne 5-6-36. At one stage during the final quarter, it was one point the difference. I should state that Box Hill got the first two goals and got them pretty quickly at the start of the game. They had uh, three goals, one up in the quarter time and then kicked four behinds for the remainder of the day. Uh, Patrick Hewitt has to be disappointed with their performance in those three quarters. Yeah, disappointing that the the game petered out for them. But I think you'd have to be smiling the fact that they won the first term and and won it convincingly. I think we spoke last week about the Hawks, how they just have to keep getting these little wins on the board. And especially against some of the lower sides of the competition, your likes of Cranbourne and and Seaford, they they really need to tick as many of those boxes as, as they can. It looks like they did it in the first term, but beyond that, didn't really make the most of their opportunities. The Cranbourne, good to see that they, well, well, you were there, so you'd be able to paint a more accurate description, but by the looks of things, they, they were able to get their way back into the to the match after probably starting a little flat-footed, and, and they probably not dominant, um, but did enough to get over the line. Well, one thing I can make comment out of that game, I guess for both sides, when you look at players, the player of the day was Brian Moody. And one of the big matchups that, that worked for them was uh, Bridie Kennedy, who we've been talking about. She was the joint TAC Cup girls, best and fairest, uh, along with Chloe Malloy. Uh, Bridie probably looks like an undersized ruck woman at this stage. She started in the back line. In the third quarter, they made the move. They put her into the ruck. And what they did, the, even though she wasn't dominating or really generally winning the ruck contest, she was competitive. But it freed up Brianne Moody. Brianne Moody pushed forward. And then later in the game, when they were under siege from Box Hill, threw it deep in defence when it was one point the difference. And she repelled on her own a good three or four attacks in the space of about one to two minutes. And it was that performance that uh, assured them the victory. On the flip side as well, um, for Box Hill, Shaylee Taylor, we take our hat off to her. She went one-on-one. She was at fullback going up against Bianca Jacobson. Uh, Jacobson, of course, all big wraps around her. She did well at Carlton. She was off to Melbourne. Uh, and I can tell you what, you wouldn't even thought BJ was at the ground. Taylor blanketed her. Yeah, and that, that's that's great, isn't it? That, that's another one of those little wins if they can hold positions on the ground and, and just get some sort of mental confidence going forward. We know they're not going to be great on the scoreboard, but if, if they can do the pressure acts, the second and third efforts around the ground and, and just hold their opponents to account, I think at this early stage for the Hawks, that's going to be the best thing for their development going forward. And you speak about Moody, it just goes to show the, the versatility 
utility that's going to be required for, for players going forward, not only in the VFLW, but also for the AFLW. Um, we, we heard Andrew Jago a couple of weeks ago say that's that's one of the areas he's looking to improve with, with his players and with... Um, Sorry, with uh, Kennedy coming in. Is it Kennedy that was the uh, the undersized Ruckman that yeah, you were just correct. talking about? Yeah, Yeah, with her coming in to the, to the side and a- adding that other option. Because I think last year it was the Moody sisters that were uh, tag-teaming in the Ruck. Um, and it just it, it provides that extra bit of flexibility for, for the Eagles and, and something that they probably desperately needed because they, they've still got that massive hole in defence with, with Hardeman not in the side. The funniest thing to come out of that was at one stage when Kennedy was in the ruck, um, Brianne Moody went as ruck rover and Emma Mackey, who's only playing like her third game of Aussie rules, was also playing ruck rover, standing there in the middle, Looked at um, looked at uh, Brianne Moody. Looked at her twice, going, "What are you doing, standing outside the two circles instead of in the two circles?" And then realised she was playing Ruck Rover. <laughs> not the nominated Ruckman didn't put the hand up for that. Are we going to discuss that rule or, or not? <laughs> Probably not. But it's great to see a woman. It's great to see a woman that tall being uh, that athletic as well that she can literally play any uh, role on the ground. But Cranbourne winners again by 13 points. Brown Moody best on ground. Melbourne Uni and the Eastern Devils. We thought this game was going to be closer. Instead, Melbourne Uni flexed their muscle even more, including a guest performance from Talia Randall from Queensland who played for the Muggers for the day. 12-6-78 to the Devils 5-7-37. Yeah, it, it, probably the first time that the, the Muggers probably have fired on all cylinders in 2017. Their, their wins to date have been, been scrappy. They are undefeated, but they haven't been the convincing wins that you'd expect the Muggers to be putting in. This was their, their first one looking at the scoreboard. The Eastern Devils, I don't know what to make of them. I, I, I'm starting to get a little bit worried. I, I think... They're, they're not quite there, and considering the development that they've been on the last couple of years, that's a little bit of a concern. I think the one thing for the Devils is when you're missing the likes of Lambert and Trend, uh, Lambert to come back, Trend to come back, particularly from injury, you just look at that and you go, and uh, you just think, they're just two quality midfielders that can get the ball out of the middle and get it going quickly, particularly when you've got the likes of Emma King. She's not playing forward, she's playing in the ruck. And you're just thinking they're just that one or two quality midfielders short and it's showing. Yeah, and, and the, the concerning uh, thing for me is to, um, once that 18 scoring shots on the weekend, the fact that the, defense, the defensive lineup for the Devils, which is one of the strongest in the league when you've got Meg Hutchins and Hannah Scott, the generals down there, the fact that they allowed 18 scoring shots to go through um, is probably probably a little disappointing. And, and coming off a performance the week before where they probably to date had their well, one of their better games where they were able to convert, where they were able to, to use the ball efficiently, didn't play four quarters, but um, still got the job done to come up against the Muggers. It just goes to show probably how far they are behind. And we've always talked about saying the middle bunch of teams. We think Diamond Creek will be there. We think Darabin will be there. We think Maribyrn and Uni will be there in the top four. And we've talked about the traffic jam of the VUS and Spurs, St Kilda and the Eastern Devils. Uh, we've seen the Sharks at the moment. They're two and two finally balanced. The Spurs have had a bit of a softer draw. So at the moment, they're looking okay at three and one. The Devils 
They dropped the game against Darwin, which, to be fair, most wouldn't have expected them to win, but they were in a winning position when they lost that game. They've dropped games now to Melbourne Uni. They've dropped games to the St Kilda Sharks. One of those two you would have hoped they would have picked up. They haven't, and you just got a feeling that they could be leaving their run when we get later into the season a bit too late. They're on the back foot early. And the sting in the tail is that probably every one of those games that you've just mentioned, they had a winning opportunity. They were they were either in front at three-quarter time or there or thereabouts in the match. They, they had an opportunity in each of those to, to take it. And the fact that they haven't, that's that to me is, is the big concern. The fact that they haven't... They just haven't notched the win on the board. And as you say, how how late can they leave it in the season? You can't wait to play your, your Seafords and, and Cranburns and expect to get the wins there. You've got to beat the teams around you on the ladder. And if you're not going to be doing that against um, the, the Spurs or... or um, or St Kilda and, and allowing them to have the opportunity to come back into the game. And even even against the, the Muggers, it, it didn't really look like they were ever in the match. Just just looking at the scoreboard, 3-1 in the first term to 1-1, 5-3 to 2-2, 8-4 four to 4-2. Four it just, they never seemed to have the momentum of that match, and, and that's a concern. At Plenty War Memorial Park, Diamond Creek were essentially in cruise control against the Geelong Cats. One or two players out, a couple of players in, including Emma Grant and Bella Air, making their respective debuts for uh, Diamond Creek officially in this game. 11-11-77 to 2-3-15. They virtually had it in the bag at halftime and then took the foot, in, foot off the accelerator. Chloe Malloy, four goals, taking her tally to 15 for the season. Yeah, she's she's certainly something special, isn't she? And no doubt will be part of FLW next year, even at such a young age. She's a very, very talented player. And I think we're all keen to watch how she continues to develop as a footballer, not only at state level, but as she goes on to bigger and better things. A reality check for, for Geelong, I think this match was... Um, the, I, I suppose it gives them an indication of what is required if you are going to to be a, a genuine contender of the competition. They've been flying, but they have been playing some of the poorer sides of uh, the league. I think their next test that's going to be interesting is when they do play more of the sides in that, that middle bracket that we were just talking about, when they come up against the Sharks, when they come up against the Devils, how, how do they perform in, in those matches? Um, because they, they did get wiped off the park and I think it is safe to say that uh, Diamond Creek are back and I think they're a close second at the moment to uh, premiership favourites to, to Melbourne Uni, the way they're tracking. They're going very well at the moment. And I'll just take one step back just to speak again on Chloe Malloy. We've been talking her up as the number one draft pick and people have been listening. I've already seen her Twitter account. It's already been changed to reflect that. I think it's James Pitcher, sports management or sports agent, has already signed her up. So uh, he's moved quickly. And I've done the math. Her goal average per game at the moment sits at 3.75 goals per game in the VFLW. If you were to take last year's uh, goal-kicking ladder and adjust it to uh, 0.8 of what it was to uh, allow for the shorter quarters. Mo Hope's average would have been about 4.2 per game. K 
Katie Brennan at 3.36. So on the stats at the moment, according to that equation, she is a more reliable goal kicker per game than what Katie Brennan is, and they could both end up in the same team at the Bulldogs. Yeah, and that's that'll be good for the Bulldogs because as we saw earlier this year, they really struggled when Brennan went down to to have that forward target. Um, and and obviously too long term, you, you got to think now. Um, all right, we've got got this, the established players there that have been there for a long time. Who's the next crop of players that we're going to be bring, um, building a, a team around? And, and Malloy's one of those that, that you want to get straight into the side that you want to start developing and start improving. And finally, uh, I should actually also point out as well uh, that, of course, uh, you talk about Geelong Cats playing those middle sides. Uh, when we return on Sunday, June 18th at Henry Turner Reserve in Footscray, our match of the day, that particular day, will be the VU Western Spurs and Geelong Cats, which would tell a story for both sides. Yeah, and, and as I just said, that that's that's probably going to be their, their next test. They've, they've had a crack at one of the uh, genuine contenders of the competition and probably failed, I, th- I think. If if you were going to be a, um, a, a serious side of the competition, you, you don't want to be blown off the park the way they were. They only got two goals in the last quarter, which which is disappointing. Um, but as I said, it's probably an accurate reflection to where they are. You just hope that they don't go down the path of um, getting belted by the top sides of the competition and going back into their shell because they've started the season so well and so full of confidence. Let's just hope that it was a little bit of a blip on the radar and they, they can find some form against the uh, VU Western Spurs. And the final game of the round saw the VU Western Spurs 9-7-61 defeat Seaford 2-3-15. Yeah, disappointing for Seaford again. Didn't get a goal uh, up until the the final quarter. Uh, It only got the two points up until three-quarter time. And just... That, that, that's probably the concerning thing when we saw them at Mulgrave Reserve, the fact that they had opportunities inside 50 but just couldn't convert. Um, that's going to get demoralising as, as the season continues. For the Spurs, again, just, just ticking the boxes, getting the job done, doing what they needed to do. Nothing, nothing flash about the Spurs at the moment, which I think is a good thing because... They'll come in as underdogs against a couple of the top sides of the competition, and I reckon, I reckon they might be able to get over the top of them. So the VU Western Spurs just tracking along nicely for Seaford. We talked about their injuries quite a bit, and, and it's just showing, isn't it, that they're struggling to get on the scoreboard. Their defence is holding up well. They're finding ways to get to halfback. They're just breaking down across the wing and, and trying to get forward. Unfortunately, it seems to just be a long season for them, which is a bit of a shame because they're one of the sides that we expected to climb the ladder this year to try and find maybe sixth, maybe fifth position to be knocked on the door of the finals, and instead, um, it's going to be back to the drawing board. Yeah, it, it is. It is disappointing for them. I think the, the the path that they were on towards the end of last year was was exciting. I think everyone had a a bit of optimism coming into this season that that they may make the top four. That was probably. Um, you know, a blue sky thinking, but it was 
the, the way they were tracking, it was a, certainly a, a possibility. But the the injuries, as you say, have, have really knocked them around, and it goes to show that even though they've got multiple sides, I think they've got five, haven't they now? Five teams. Four. Um, Seaford. Four. Um, even though they've got that there, the depth underneath coming through isn't enough to replace some of those key players in the side, and they do rely on, on these superstars a little too much. When we saw them a couple of weeks ago, Hosking didn't have a great game, and Gillespie Jones wasn't that prominent. And and you just you just felt that, you know, even though they, they had uh, passages where, where they controlled the footy a little bit, they, they did just break down across the centre line because they just didn't know where to go, how to organise themselves, um, what the pattern was, what the structure was. You, you just feel that until those players can come back into the side or until the, the current group um, spend a bit of time in the seniors getting to learn one another, that uh, they're going to struggle to obviously uh, be efficient inside 50. And Coxie, just a quick observation on the ladder. We've got Diamond Creek and Melbourne Uni first and second respectively on four wins, no losses. The Spurs and Geelong third and fourth respectively on three wins, one loss. St Kilda and Darabin at fifth and sixth respectively, two and two. Darabin with only a percentage of 91.60. Make of that what you will. Uh, the Eastern Devils sitting seventh on, on one win. Cranbourne eighth on one win. Box Hill have now climbed off the bottom of the table to be ninth, while Seaford, bottom of the table, the percentage of 23.13. Yeah, and obviously the bottom end of the ladder, I don't think we're going to see too much change there. You probably expect towards the end of the year, Seaford might get one or two wins. going to be hard to see Box Hill. They're really going to need everything to click when they come up against one of the bottom sides to um, get a win on the board this year. So expecting the, the bottom three positions to stay Expecting the top two to probably stay as they are, but flip. I think Melbourne Uni would finish on the top of, or should finish on the top of the ladder, although the way the Creekers are going, who knows? They might have something to, to say about that. But it's really the, the middle part, as we were speaking about before, that's the interesting part of, of this season. Who's going to fill the last two spots on the ladder? I don't think Darabin are, are definites anymore. I th- think that they've really got to prove that they are still capable of putting on a performance like they have for so many years and they haven't done that to date and whether they can find that form whether it's um, the next match that they play uh, against the Muggers or whether it's later on in the year um, they've really got to prove a point. The Sharks they're hovering there or thereabouts Really don't know about the Spurs. Um, can can they cause a few upsets and a few headaches? Who knows? Geelong, well, we know they got wiped off the park on the weekend. Are they a serious contender for the four? Probably not. But again, might be able to cause some headaches towards the latter part of the year. And then you've got the Devils. And at, at the moment, they're, they're probably my biggest question mark as to can... Can they begin taking some of these opportunities, grasping them and and converting some of these losses into wins? Um, And they're going to need to start doing that really, really quickly. Otherwise, the the season's done and dusted for them. So they're they're probably the the one to watch at the moment, the Eastern Devils. And and just to see how the the Spurs and Geelong track, I think they're going to be the interesting uh, thing over the next month.
Coxie, thanks very much for joining us, and we look forward to catching up with you next week when we preview the next round of Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Football. Yeah, going to be a big round of footy. Looking forward to it. And that wraps up episode 19. Just a quick reminder, of course, that this program can be downloaded as a podcast via iTunes or SoundCloud. Just search for Girls Play Footy. And, of course, airs on RSN Carnival around quarter past six every Wednesday evening. Our match of the day coverage in the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition will return after the Queen's Birthday long weekend. We will be back on Saturday, the 17th of June at 230 p.m. to bring you a special game the Pride match being played at Melville Oval in Hamilton between Melbourne University and the Darabin Falcons should be an absolute cracker. Do join us then on RSN Carnival until next time I'm Peter Holden thanks for your company and it's bye for now